You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. And I'm Ryan. On Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows, and then we talk about them. We are currently starting our new uh, season? Episode arc? Season. Season? Season. Season. And this is going to be our intro episode. But uh, before we get into that, Ryan, do you have a bit for us or no? I do. Uh, And our bit... Uh, sort of foreshadows what we're going to be talking about if you have tuned in not knowing. This will be the shortest bit that I've ever had, so I need to give it a very long intro. Okay. Uh, but that's about all I have. So, shortest bit. Favorite Twi'lek? Um, Legends or canon? Yes. Okay. That's tough. You could do both. You could do both. Okay. Let's okay. let's do both. Let's do Legends and canon. And the follow-up question is, how do you pronounce the name of the species of tailheads from Ryloth? I call them Twi'leks. I go back and forth, but today's a Twi'lek day. Uh, sometimes Twi'lek. I think I picked up Twi'lek from the Phantom Menace game and then just ran with it. Anyway, favorite. So my favorite Twi'lek, who is only a Twi'lek one-sixth of the time, <laughs> is the protagonist from Jedi Knight Jedi Academy. Ooh. Uh, Jaden. Vo- voiced by Jennifer Hale. Yeah. But because she's only a Twilight one-sixth of the time, uh, my favorite Legends Twilight is uh, Shadow Vow. Okay, that's Legacy, right? That is from the Star Wars Legacy comics. He's very hot, and he has a double-bladed lightsaber, and he's very hot. Um, I, I know that the writers claim that the connection between him and Mission Vow was unintentional, but I reject that. I don't, I don't buy that. And then my favorite canon Twi'lek is Champ Syndulla. Yeah. And I love Champ very much. He is probably in my top 10 favorite Star Wars characters. Champ is fascinating. What what about Champ speaks to you? Champ is... If, if you are a Saw Gerrera is right kind of person, but it rubbed you the wrong way that he like blew up a school. Uh, Champ Syndulla is there for you. Like he is willing to go further than the rebel Alliance, but he is not so far like lost as Saw Gerrera is. Uh, and, and, and I love, I love that about him. And then, I think the aspect that we keep seeing him at different points in his journey kind of out of order is very interesting. And so it's fun to try and like trace his story in a lot of ways like Bo-Katan, but I think he gets way more development and and like fleshed out than Bo ever has. So Definitely, which is weird because he has significantly less screen time than her. 
He does, but he he has that whole book. But I guess yeah, even I if you take the book away, he still has way more character development than Bo-Katan. Yeah, I'll say. Um, right what on. about you? Favorite Legends? Uh, I was thinking about that, and I, I think I gotta go with uh, Mission Veo uh, in KOTOR. She's... You know, the young, like, I, I'm a, I'm a sucker for, like, the scoundrel rogue archetypes. Um, but Mission is not even, like, an edgy scoundrel. She's just lovable from the get-go. She's formidable. You know, we meet her in that rough cantina, but she can hold her own. She's got Zalbar, who is the coolest. Um, her Wookiee best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I just really enjoy Mission. And I, I haven't read the Revan novel because I do not like what Legends did with Bastila after Knights of the Old Republic. And I really like her. But I understand that there's a conversation between Revan and Candorus that has them opting to keep Mission away from their next adventure because at her young age, she has successfully launched a shipping business and she's just doing really great things. And I'm happy for her. Go mission. Good pick. Very good. Pick. Thank you. My, my canon favorite is probably a tie between Cham and Hera. Um, Cham for the reasons you said, I mean, I, I don't think saw was necessarily altogether right. I think Cham is closer to right for the reasons you outlined, you know, he's Cham's not a terrorist. Uh, is he a radical? We could debate that. And we probably will over these next few episodes, but he's not a terrorist. Um, and as for Hera, she's kind of a refinement of all of Cham's principles. I mean, Hera's probably my favorite Star Wars pilot. It it varies. But I just love the story of her keeping together this rebel cell while having outside knowledge of this greater thing. I, mm-hmm. One of my favorite arcs in Star Wars. So, yeah, I would say I think Hera edges out Cham these days. So Mission and Hera. I I do love Hera very, very much. Uh, she is. Uh, I mean, we talked about her a ton in our very first uh, arc of this podcast. So Hera, Hera is absolutely a very good pick. So with the bit out of the way, I guess we can talk about what arc three, season three of Force Runs Rewatch is. And we are talking about uh, every Ryloth themed episode of Star Wars television. Yeah. So we are starting off in Clone Wars, which, uh, as previously talked about on this show, Clone Wars is uh, like not in chronological order <laughs> for very interesting reasons. So we're kind of hopping all around Clone Wars to watch in chronological order. Then from there, we're going to be watching the Bad Batch episodes. Then from there, we might cover our first book. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little uh, bit about Lords, that? Yeah, Lords of the Sith. It came out around the time that Rebels Season 1 was wrapping up, and I think for that reason it was overshadowed. But it involves, I mean, I need to revisit it. It's been ages. But it, it revolves around Vader and Palpatine getting trapped on Ryloth as Cham's free Ryloth movement is really starting to coalesce into a full-fledged rebellion at the start of the Empire. It. It's a absolutely underrated gem. I never see people talking about it on yeah. Star Wars Twitter. Like it's it's a phenomenal novel that a lot of people slept on. It's got some queer characters, which is great. It uh, has a character who like completely gives the middle finger to the idea of like all Twilight women are like sluts, you know, like. 
she's amazing. Um, and then, yeah, it, it feels kind of like the Titanic because you, you know that Cham has this plan to assassinate Vader and Palpatine, but you also know that there's no way it's going to go well for them. Yeah. So you're just watching, waiting for this iceberg to show up. It's, it's a very compelling read. It was a different experience reading it before we had post Lords of the Sith Cham content, but I'm interested to revisit it now. Yeah. Because I was, you know, he had to die, but then, no. Uh, and then after that, we're going to be doing Rebels, uh, some Rebels episodes about Ryloth, which should be a lot of fun revisiting uh, the Ghost Crew. Yeah. Just and a little I- bit. There were fewer than I remembered. Yeah, yeah. There's only there's only a handful. Um, there's two. There's the episode with Cham, and then there's the Heroes of Ryloth episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be definitely a much more manageable arc than trying to cover every Mandalorian-themed episode. Yeah. So, going into this, uh, I guess I want to ask you, Ryan, what is your, like, where do you rank Twi'leks on your list of, like, Star Wars aliens? Oh, man. One of the favorites, I would say. I mean, they're... They're iconic and they're diverse within the story in the sense that Ornfrita, uh, Ela Sukura, Bib Fortuna, Beezer Fortuna from Rogue One, like you line those three up and you can tell they're all the same species, but there's very little they have in common besides vaguely human shape and the Leku. Uh, it's, they're interesting, they're visually striking. They're budget friendly, which is why we're seeing so many of them in uh, Solo and Mandalorian and Book of Boba. They're, I don't know, they're iconically Star Wars. Like, you forget that they didn't come around until Return of the Jedi because they're so ubiquitous now. I, I really like them. They're one of my favorite alien races. How about so, you? For, for me, I would, I would agree with everything you just said. Uh, they're pretty high up there on my list. I, uh, I, I say this as uh, like fully recognizing the horrible colonialist things France has done as a country, but uh, I find French history and culture very fascinating um, through a historical lens. Like uh, they helped us win the Revolutionary War uh, by us, I mean the United States. Um, uh, they uh, fought in World War One and World War Two. Um, they have a history of piracy, which I find very interesting. And, uh, they have a history of throwing revolutions at the drop of a dime, which I also find very interesting. So, um, uh, I'm just a big fan of, uh, French history in the like popcorn armchair sense. I'm not like a historian by any means, but the fact that the Twi'leks are, uh, heavily inspired by, uh, like French history, uh, is is yeah. very interesting. The fact that they are always throwing revolutions <laughs> and and kind of always getting um overwhelmed by superior numbers, but still like, uh, putting their chin up and uh being willing to take another punch. Um, and then from the fandom perspective, I find it very interesting that for the longest time it was 
you could not have a girl Twi'lek with her midriff covered, and you could not have a boy Twi'lek who wasn't a complete uggo. And then um, somewhere in the mid-2000s, they were like, we're going to make some sexy boy Twi'leks now, and we're going to, like, have women Twi'leks with more agency. And, um, yeah, that was very uh, appreciated. Uh, and I find that dynamic interesting that, uh, like that shift happens. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in that, that, I mean, the only two Twi'leks that we saw in Return of the Jedi were Ula and Bib. Yeah. Cause Lin Mi was added at the special edition, but even she falls into that trope, uh, Ula mm-hmm. and Bib Fortuna. And it, it's interesting that it kind of took them that long to take that and run with it. Take that and turn it around rather. Yeah, like, um, as of recording this, we've only seen two episodes of the Book of Boba Fett, but in that first one, we got uh, a very sexy male Twilight, which was great. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, this might bite us even by the time it airs, but I get the impression that they're setting Garza Whip up to be certainly something more than she appears. I wouldn't be surprised if she's the big bad of the whole show. Oh, yeah, she definitely feels like a 1930s, like, femme fatale like, oh, I'm just a pretty face and nothing else. But like, oh, there's definitely something yeah. going on there that I don't I don't trust. Yeah, she she might unseat Hera and Cham on my list of favorites, depending on where the character goes. Oh, speaking of interesting stuff with Twi'leks, uh, something else that I find interesting is uh, established in Legends, but like carried over into canon, there was very specific like sexually dimorphic characteristics between yeah men and women twi'leks and then they keep making mistakes with it though yeah and that starts so in solo right the the most noticeable example yeah is in solo there is a sexy lounge singer uh male twi'lek and male twi'leks have ears and female twi'leks can have ears or cones and he has cones, but besides the cones, he is presenting male. He's presenting masculine. And so fans pointed at this and was like, that's a trans man. That's a, that's a trans man. Twilight, which is really cool. And Pablo Hidalgo on Twitter and then in a source book, it was pointed out that like, well, he's making a playful choice with gender in the way that like David Bowie or Elton John might have, you know, he's a musician. He's, you know, kind of, you know, fucking around with gender a little bit, which, okay. Like I'll, I'll take that, but you know, it's still a very interesting Mm -hmm. thing in the movie. And if an author wanted to further explore that character, they could do some very interesting stuff with it. Then, in The Mandalorian and in Lords of the Sith, there are two different female Twi'leks who sharpen their teeth. And that is, according to legends, something only male Twi'leks do. Uh, so that's like a really rebellious gender thing that those two women did, which I think is very cool. And then most recently in The Book of Boba Fett, that sexy male Twi'lek also has uh, has cones. If you know any trans men, you know that they will take their shirt off at the drop of a dime if they can. Uh, And he's shirtless. So it's just like 
that definitely uh, feels even more like a trans man just because he's like big and buff and shirtless <laughs> and rocking it. And he, he's got he's got cones. So either someone in the costuming department keeps making mistakes or someone in the costuming department is like, no, I'm going to sneak a trans Twi'lek on screen if it kills me. Um, it's it's very interesting to like notice these things. Yeah, I didn't notice the cones on the guy in Guys of Whips, but I'm looking now and you're right. Shoot. Um, was there another sign that what's her name was trans too? Uh, in Mandalorian, I think we talked about it on our episode uh, covering it. That well, she sense. has the big like the female Twilight forehead is usually kind of smooth and understated, and she does have the big sort of bulbous, not quite Bib Fortuna, but that swelling in the forehead that matches her brother. We had never seen quite that. Big of a forehead on a female Twilight. I think that was what we talked about. Okay. Go back to that episode. It's a good episode. Uh, not of the Mandalorian, of Force Friends. Go back to the Force Friends episode. I mean, the Mandalorian episode is good too, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's there's a lot of fun stuff with Twilight culture and... Uh, they're just kind of like in the background a lot. There hasn't been a lot of main characters who are Twi'leks uh, outside, I would say, of Harrison Dula. So uh, it's it's fun to like look at them through these lenses and yeah. uh, try and notice things. Well, on the topic of their culture, um, I noticed a massive shift. I was recently revisiting Empire at War, which everyone should do, a uh, 2004 Star Wars strategy game. And it... Kind of when when you battle on Ryloth, it carried over three things from Legends that haven't made it into canon. Uh, number one, planet completely ravaged by dust storms at all times. Twi'leks mostly stay inside. Haven't really seen that. Uh, number two, the planet is tidelocked. One side of the planet is frigid and arctic and always in darkness. And the other side facing the sun is uninhabitable. So the Twi'leks in Legends lived, lived along a... Um, like a meridial band of the planet where it was perpetually sunset, which I, I really loved that. I wish that could have carried over into Clone Wars. I think that would have been very uh, visually interesting, but I get it. George probably didn't even know. And then there was something about how the Twi'leks saw the galactic civil war as one of the dust storms where you just have to ride it out. And they were aggressively neutral to the point of being hostile to both sides. In Empire at War, if you play on Ryloth, a local Twi'lek militia, no matter what side you play, will attack you. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, I love the Twi'leks being rebels and what you said about French culture is absolutely brilliant. But I do wish that they could have kept the idea that they lived in a band of sunset on an otherwise uninhabitable world. I, I really do like that. Yeah. Because Ryloth itself, I mean, it is kind of another nondescript desert planet. Yeah, I definitely feel like part of it was like the budget of Rebels and what they could show and what they True. could do. Which, you know, there's definitely more that they could do with Ryloth if they wanted to. Oh, but we see it so much in Clone Wars. Yeah. 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 Well, in Clone Wars, it was kind of George just, from what I remember reading, he wanted to do a D-Day story and he arbitrarily picked Ryloth. So you needed that like morning landing sequence. Well, yeah, I think I think we've uh, just about like talked about 
you know, general Twi'lek Ryloth thoughts and feelings. I'm excited to go back to Clone Wars and watch some really, really good episodes. Yeah, for sure. They're they're all this. Unlike the last bit we did, like I'm excited about every single episode we have slated. They are all excellent stories for very different reasons. All right. Well, yeah, that is going to do it for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. We would like to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for that intro and for being our producer. Go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. We are grateful to be part of the Where They May radio network. You can get some great rewards at our Patreon at Patreon slash WTM Radio, as well as bonus content from Music and Lyrics by Ending Pending and Fan Fiction is Good, actually. Ryan, how do we end the episode? We end the episode by once again imploring you, and this is the third season, you know, in, in Rebels they did it in the second season. Um, tell the boy about his parents. And uh, block out Star Wars Eclipse. Where they may radio.